I'm Mary Ambrose, and this is the CG Podcast. On April 21st, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank Group will meet in Washington, D.C. These massive annual events are a closed book for most of us. I mean, we can watch people yakking away in Parliament on TV, but we can't watch some of the most powerful people riding and sometimes changing the waves of the global economy. That's what Kevin Carmichael does. Longtime journalist and CG senior fellow, Kevin will attend these meetings as he has many times before, and he's offered to give us a little behind the curtain preview. So Kevin, how many people will go to these meetings and do they get to choose which things they attend or are some things obligatory? How does it work? Well, um, I guess it depends on who you're talking to when you, when you, you talk about people. But uh, let me describe the scene this way. I mean, this is like a, an old home week for policy geeks, these, these meetings. So there will be certainly several thousand people there. Um, the IMF represents 109, or 189 countries. Uh, sorry, each of those countries will send a finance minister, or a central bank governor, at least. Uh, usually, some other ministers uh, tag along. Depends on the, the, the size and the, you know, the, the relative wealth of, of the of the country we're talking about. But uh, as you know, when we have VIPs like that, they all come with uh, with their own uh, entourage. Um, and then when you also when you have VIPs, you have reporters and protesters. So there will be several hundred uh, journalists uh, milling around downtown Washington during these meetings. Uh, the protesters are less vigorous than they than they have been in the past these years, but th- they're still there, handing out flyers, handing out press releases, holding conferences, holding uh, panels, these sorts of things, trying to get their messages out. Um, then let me add the think tanks. There are at least a half a dozen of those in Washington who will d- be doing their own uh, events on the sidelines. Uh, they all uh, tend to, to host conferences, uh, panel discussions of their own, um, pulling in uh, as many of these finance ministers and central bankers and policy experts as they can. Um, the IMF itself holds lots of panels, so they too uh, have more pool than the, than the think tanks, obviously. So these will be uh, the, the marquee events is, tends to be as, as close um, as, as people like me get uh, to what's going on behind the curtain. Um, but you'll see Christine Lagarde, the managing director um, at several of these. She likes to surround herself with, uh, with people of, of her stature. So there would be finance ministers and central bankers from all the big economies and sprinkling of, of developing economies there, sort of highlighting the, the, the headline issues. Um, and then let's not forget the bankers. The bankers love these meetings too because uh, it's sort of a captive. They have all their regulators and various policymakers that they seek to influence in one place. It's just a, it's a, it's a jamboree, and uh, people like me run around trying to uh, pick up scraps of, of information wherever we can, whether that's public, whether that's in the Starbucks around the corner from from the IMF, but. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's jam-packed uh, for four or five days uh, every spring uh, in, in D.C. You mentioned uh, Christine Lagarde, who is the chief of the IMF, and I assume the gossip in the halls will be about her. You wrote a great article uh, for McLean's last fall in which you described this elegant French lawyer, who's not an economist, as the great hope for the global economy. Let's listen to her ideas on how to tackle money laundering. You have the countries at risk, which have to up their game 
in order to, ma to make sure that they comply with anti-money laundering regulations, mm -hmm. with counter-financing terrorism measures. That's one group. Right. Then you have the regulators who legitimately so require that they be compliance with the rules. And then you have the third category, which is the financial sector, the banking industry, which says, why should I take risks when I'm not too sure about right. you know, the business right, right. that is being conducted in those countries? Mm -hmm. What we are advocating is that these three actually get together, even under our auspices if needed, uh, in order to understand the concerns of each of the three. And each of the three has to do something. The countries have to improve the compliance. They have to make sure that anti-money laundering rules are complied mm. with. They have to make sure that tax transparency is a, a driver. They have to make sure that financing of tourism is off. Then the regulators have to encourage, to explain, to clarify their right. rules so that there is no suspicion as to what is really their purpose. And the banks themselves have to conduct their cost-benefit analysis, but also be mindful of not leaving territories open to what I would call the weak right. link. Somebody who comes in and says, I'm going to do financial business on the side. Christine Lagarde, the head of the IMF, making very sensible and sane suggestions on how to tackle the international crime of money laundering. She was a star, but then this happened. The head of the International Monetary Fund has been found guilty by a French court of negligence when she was the country's finance minister. Christine Lagarde had denied accusations which said she allowed the misuse of public funds over a 400 million euro state payout to a business tycoon. The special court decided not to hand down any punishment. The charges could have meant a year in jail. International Monetary Fund chief Christine Lagarde, who warned of a lack of trust in global leaders, just a month later, she was found guilty of negligence in a French court. Now, Kevin, I don't want to ask you to explain the French legal system to us, but she has been found guilty of negligence when she was France's finance minister. What happened and how has this affected her credibility? Um, so this is essentially what happened uh, based on Christine Lagarde's defense uh, at trial. Uh, she, it, it, so it comes down to this. Uh, she was fairly new to, to French politics at this time, uh, had not long been in the, in the finance minister's office. Uh, she f finds herself in charge of overseeing this suit put against uh, the government by someone associated with her boss, French President uh, Nicolas Sarkozy. Um, he had sued the government, felt that a state bank had treated him unfairly. Uh, Lagarde, uh, being a lawyer, saw the potential for this to, to drag on for a long time, suck up the resources of, um, of her department, uh, of, of the government, uh, potentially cost the, the French taxpayer a considerable amount of money. So she, her instinct was to settle uh, quickly and get it out of the way. Um, and she maintained that, um, that it was simple as that. Uh, she got in trouble because the, the settlement uh, was rather rich, um, in the public eye anyway. The court determined that she probably should have been paying more attention uh, throughout this process and perhaps she should have realized that the payout was too large and that she should have intervened. Uh, uh, to stop that. That's, that's where she got in trouble. That's where the negligence charge came. Do you think this has affected her credibility as um, a chief of the IMF? 
Yeah, that's a really good question, Mary. Uh, do I think it's affected her credibility? Personally, no, but um, I suspect there'll be others who, who think it has. Um, and I suppose it comes down to just how pure you think someone in a position like that of, uh, of Christine Lagarde needs to be to do his or her job effectively. Egypt has got IMF attention. It's not so much got a lot of media attention. Let's, uh, Egypt has received a rather big helping hand from the IMF. Oh, the International Monetary Fund has approved a three-year $12 billion dollar, uh, dollar loan for Egypt. Egypt will first receive $2.75 billion, while the rest is subject to its economic performance and further reforms. The country is currently facing high unemployment and a budget deficit of 12% of GDP. Tourism, which is Egypt's leading source of income, has declined sharply over the past five years. Last week, the country floated its currency in an attempt to strengthen confidence in the economy. The government also increased interest rates by three percentage points to 14.75%. The bailout is expected to help the country out of its deep economic crisis. Egypt has been hard hit by tourists staying away and their efforts to reform their government into a functioning democracy hasn't been entirely successful, as certainly not as successful as many had hoped. Kevin, will this infusion of cash make a huge difference? Um, I think it'll make a huge difference. That IMF loan, that infusion of cash is a certain amount of stability that just wasn't there um, uh, certainly before and hasn't been in, uh, present in Egypt essentially since since the, the uprising of 2010, 2011. And bring a certain amount of, of confidence um, among the international investing community that, the, that they can take a chance on Egypt. So you've seen uh, a greater willingness of people to lend Egypt money. You've seen some life in the Egyptian stock market, and you've seen a certain uh, sense of, of of confidence in the Egyptian business community that they can now sort of count on uh, a reduced risk of of chaos, and um, and and make some plans to try to to build their businesses and put some people to work. Kevin, you lived in India before you recently returned to Canada, and India's economy, unlike Egypt, is growing by leaps and bounds. So representing the view of the IMF, I assume, this is what Lagarde said India has to focus on. In India, enhancing the efficiency of product markets, encouraging private investment, improving infrastructure and banks' balance sheets. In many countries, from emerging to low income, strengthening the business environment and developing bond markets. Successfully dealing with these kinds of structural issues will not only support Asia's near and medium term prospects, but it also will secure the foundations in order to help the region unleash its full potential. IMF Chief Christine Lagarde talking about what the IMF would like to see in various Asian countries, including India. Do you think these economies are growing, 6%, I mean, they're just doing extraordinarily well. Do you think they're prepared to deal with some of these issues like building infrastructure and all of the other things that go with a huge economy with millions of people? Yeah. Um, the IMF really needs India, or the, put another way, the world really needs India. There, there are not a lot of growth engines right now. Uh, the Chinese economy is slowing down. Uh, you know, Europe, Japan, the U.S., Canada, the U.K., the, lots of these economies are you know, doing fair to middling, but uh, there's just not the sort of, of, of growth going on in, in, in 
in the world economy that there, that there was six, seven years ago. India stands out as one of those economies that has underperformed for a long, long time that suddenly seems on the verge of potentially you know, delivering some of the outsized growth that China gave the world um, over the last couple of decades. Um, my own experience there tells me that um, that, that that India probably is, has gone as far as it can go until it does exactly what um, Christine Lagarde and the IMF have been encouraging it to do and boost its infrastructure. Um, I mean, it, uh, it's just a place, it's a vast country, uh, a, a huge economy, a massive market, a uh, billion people, everybody knows this, we, we've talked about uh, India's potential for, for years and years. Um, but it just does not have the sort of uh, connectivity links that we take for granted in, in countries like Canada. It's, um, you know, the, the, the roads are uh, poorly paved, the trains are, are smashed full of people, making them unsafe, um, inefficient. Um, you know, the, the cities are, are choking on uh, exhaust fumes, all these kinds of things. I mean, and, you know, and, and so this is all these things will have to change if India is really to become a, you know, an elite economy in the world. And, um, and I think this is really what, uh, what the IMF is is, is attempting to do sort of the IMS job to keep the pressure on the government um, and at the same time provide the government with a little support uh, so we can go back to um, its people and, and explain why it uh, needs to change this rule or why it needs to spend you know this amount of money to 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 push forward. I can't imagine everybody wouldn't be thrilled if the trains were safe and, and worked well. They they certainly would be thrilled. Uh, the, the issue for India though is 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 money for this sort of thing. Um, it's got a ridiculously small tax base. Um, uh, it's, it's a which which ties into its endemic problem of corruption. Um, it, it, the government uh, really struggles to to squeeze um, any tax revenue. At, all out of its uh, the, the wealthier segment of the population. The issue it faces is that um, it now has a population that just doesn't have the habit of paying tax, doesn't uh, feel it should. Um, it's gonna, quite happy with the way things are going now. So India really has to has to do some things that that, that some parts, some important parts of, of its population are going to would find uncomfortable. Um, and so that's sort of where the IMF comes in is. You know, one, as I said, keeping the pressure on the government to, to, to do these things, but also giving the government a little intellectual support on why it has to uh, put the pressure on its population to, to pay their taxes, to raise their taxes, these sorts of things. Kevin Carmichael writes about financial issues and global economics for top Canadian magazines and newspapers. And at CG, he researches policy briefs on major global economic governance summits. You can find those briefs on our website, which is www.cigionline.org. CG is the Centre for International Governance Innovation and Independent Nonpartisan Think Tank. I'm Mary Ambrose.